Well, good morning, Oakwood. Welcome to part three of our series, Unto Us. Our Christmas series as we've been going through a different uh, passage of scripture from the book of Isaiah and look at different prophecies that point us to the Messiah and even identify some 700 years before Christ is born who he is and what his work is going to be as the special and significant son of God enters the world. Been a great time. I, I love Christmas. I love everything about Christmas. Um, I love Christmas songs and, and, and Christmas uh, decorations. I love looking at Christmas lights. Um, last night, uh, me and my family went out and looked at the holiday lights in the park at Meadow Lake, and then we went to the drive-through nativity at the Nazarene Church, and just just a, a great season to see um, all the dressings of Christmas, right? And one of the things that happens at Christmas time is this idea that we give presents, right? I, I like presents. I like giving presents, and I, I like surprising people and being thoughtful with that. And I also like receiving a few presents myself. And I was thinking about that this week as, as we're continuing in this series today. And, and the first week we we're in Isaiah 7, last week Isaiah 9, today we'll be in Isaiah 11. So if you want to go ahead and, and turn there in your Bible to Isaiah chapter 11. And as always, you can follow along in the Oakwood app. All of the sermon notes and the scripture will be there for you. But Isaiah chapter 11 is where we'll be today. But as I was thinking all of this and thinking about the sermon today, I was thinking about presents and how, you know, Jesus is the best present to ever come to us and, and really the ultimate present of all time. But we all like presents. And especially as a child, do you, do you have any presents that you received as a child that you remember? Anybody? I mean, there's that special present that you had. I remember one year I got this semi-truck. Um, the brand was Ertl, E-R-T-L. I don't know if they even have that brand anymore. But it was, it was this die-cast, you know, truck made of metal, really super durable. And it was like, you know, pretty good size. And I remember I played with that thing. I remember the back door um, on the back went up and down just like a real uh, semi-truck did. And I remember the brand on the side of this, this truck was Home Foamers. And I don't even know what Home Foamers was. I guess it's insulation company for homes or something. But that was on the, the side of, of, of this truck. And I remember playing with that for years. I passed it down to my brother. Um, I mean, that just kind of, you know, stayed in the family. What, I was like, what a, great, what a great Christmas gift, you know? You have those Christmas gifts that you remember like that. Like, like do you guys remember the Slinky? Like, yeah, how many of you had a slinky? Anyone in here have a slinky? Oh, I got some slinky people. Very good, yeah. Uh, you got maybe a slinky, and you remember, you remember getting something like that. What about the Rubik's Cube? Anybody get a Rubik's Cube ever for Christmas? I remember I was so excited to get a Rubik's Cube. And I got it, I got it out, and I messed it up, and it never, never more shall be. Um, and that's why when you got your second Rubik's Cube about five years later, what did you do? You remembered, right? I'd turn this one, this one, this one, this one. Huh, look, it's all my little watch. Yeah, you know, four moves and you got it back. And, but yeah, I can never figure that out. And people that can do that, I just think, gosh, they got, you know, too much, too much time on their hands. But uh, anyway, um, but you know, you got the Roos Cube. And, and maybe if you're a lady, you remember the Cabbage Patch Kids. Was there any ladies in here? Did, you know, parents, did you buy your, yeah, buy a Cabbage Patch Kid or two or three or four or a whole collection of, Cabbage Patch Kids, you know, and so there's all those great gifts. Well, one of my favorite gifts of all time, other than my semi-truck, uh, were, were, were these punching bags. And so I have a couple of them to show you. So I got my assistants, uh, Vanna, Vanna and Vanna 2, are coming out here. I don't know if you all remember these, if you ever had these as a child. Thanks, thanks Vanna, appreciate that. But uh, 
Yeah, do you, do you remember uh, having these? I, I remember I got one of these. I don't remember how old I was, probably uh, six years old or something. But uh, do you remember these? They're called bop bags or punch me's. And, and I had one that was similar to this because I remember it said boom and pow and, you know, crash and zonk. And I had all these words on it. And I, if I remember, I think mine was like a Spider-Man one because that's who I was into. But if you haven't seen one of these, you don't know what they do. You punch them and they always come back for more. You know, it's kind of like a little brother or sister, except, you know, safer. <laughs> So, but these were great, and if you really got into it, you know, the bass would like slide, and you'd end up, you know, off the stage with it, and um, yeah, and, and so, you know, I, I had one similar, similar to this, but then I saw this one, and I was like, oh, I couldn't pass up Bozo. Now, what's unique about Bozo is if you punch him in the nose, he squeaks. So, you know, then you got, then you got Bozo, and if you punch Bozo right, he comes back for more, and he'll, he'll squeak every time you hit him in the nose, you know, just, just, just a little bit, but... But these are, these are fun things. Now, the problem with these is what? And did anyone have one of these things as a kid growing up or was it just me? Okay, several. Good. Yeah. So well, the, what was the problem with these? December 26th, they were deflated. <laughs> Do you remember that? You know, they, were, they would just deflate the next day. And you, you punched it all day Christmas. And the next morning you woke up, it's just like shriveled on the ground. You'd blow it back up. And you remember having your dad blow this up on Christmas Day? I mean, he's got a headache the rest of the day because he blew it up for you. Because you never got it like this under the tree. You got it in the package and you had to, you had to do all that. But these, you know, these things are fun. It's fun to remember uh, good Christmas gifts and, and this kind of season. But it, it's really important that we remember the greatest gift of all time is Jesus Christ. And what's interesting in the series as we've been studying this is that even back in Isaiah, even in the middle of the Old Testament, a prophet of old, He's talking about the greatest present to ever come into the world. He's already talking about Jesus. And today, I, I, I did things a little bit different today. Today, I'm, I'm using a lot of imagery. Because as I read Isaiah chapter 11, these images come into my mind, and I felt like that's what Isaiah was trying to do. He was trying to get the nation of Israel to look at Jesus and to look at his coming into the world in a different way. And he did that by, by, by putting some imagery in there. So I want to share that with you this morning. So um, Isaiah chapter 11, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 10 this morning. So let's, let's read this passage in its entirety. It says, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den. The young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. 
And in that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. What a great passage. But if you're reading that and you're not understanding some of the language, some of the characters, and some of the imagery, you're like, what does this have to do with Christmas? What is Isaiah talking about here? And what is the imagery? What is he trying to drum up in the hearts of people to understand who Jesus is? And I just think that we as Christians should cherish Isaiah's images of Christmas. Let me share those with you this morning. The first one is this, a stump. A stump. Now, when you think Christmas, you don't think stump, right? You think angels and shepherds and wise men and manger and baby Jesus, and you're not, yeah, every time I think of Jesus, I think of a dead stump. And yet that's where he, he begins. Let's look at verse 1. He says, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, from his roots a branch, and notice the branch there is with a capital B, from his roots a branch will bear fruit. Who is this branch? I've got a picture of this for you just to, just to kind of to illustrate uh, this morning. Have you ever had this happen? where you cut down a tree, and it's just a stump. You've cut down the top of the tree, you've cut all the life out of the tree, and look at it. And yet, out of this stump that you thought was completely dead, there comes this branch. And then it becomes another branch, and then it becomes another branch, and then it becomes what? It's gonna, it's gonna grow back if you don't cut it down again. If you, this, this thing that you thought was dead is still very much alive, and it literally comes back to life. I remember doing this one time. I had a tree that I cut at the bottom, and I thought it was good and dead, and it looked good and dead for like two years. And then out of this tree comes a branch. And that's the exact imagery that Isaiah wants Israel to understand, and even into us today. Now, if you, if you, if you don't know the scripture very well or don't know the lineage of Jesus, you're like, Jesse, who's, who's Jesse, you know? If our, in our passages before the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the line of David and King David, and we talked about that. And yet, here Isaiah goes even a step back further, a generation to Jesse. Who is Jesse? Jesse was David's father. The David who was King David, the David who was David and Goliath David, his father was Jesse. Now, when you read and study this, then some scholars give you many different reasons of why Isaiah goes to to Jesse here. Some scholars believe it's because of the corruption of the kings and the lineage of David right now, that it's, that it's Ahaz. You know, we talked about Ahaz a couple weeks ago and, and what a corrupt king he was and how he was leading God's people, the leadership of the nation was leading the people away from God, not to God. So it might be because of that that Isaiah steps back here and goes back even a generation before David and says, Jesse, the stump of Jesse. But some scholars also believe that uh, Jesus was referred to and believed uh, the, the Messiah coming into the world was believed to be like the second David. There was going to be a man after God's own heart and, and do some of the, the wonderful things that, that King David did and that he would be a good king and that he would you know, follow, follow the Lord and, 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 and all of those things. And so whether it was for that or whether it was because you know, it was the corruption of the kings at that time, he goes back to Jesse's stump, and he says, out of this, this stump of Jesse, this dead stump, is going to come hope. There's going to come life. And what's amazing to me is when you see new growth come from dead, when you see that a lot of times in the spring, everything you thought was dead, 
around your house starting to come back to life. It's really encouraging. And I really think that this passage and this verse right here specifically is talking about not only the resurrection of this dead lineage and the sinfulness in this line of kings from David that weren't perfect, that were hardly even identifiable as as someone who followed God, but that there was going to be a resurrection. There was going to be life come from the dead. And wouldn't you know it, that it would go all the way to Jesus being this branch to come out of this dead, but he would be a resurrection person. He would be resurrecting lives through miracles on this earth, but he was resurrecting hearts, resurrecting lives that were dead. It reminded me of the verse from Ephesians chapter 2. If you you know me, I've I've talked about this before. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 is a great gospel presentation. If you're ever like, how do I present the gospel to this lost person? Read Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 to them. And and this is how that, that passage starts. Ephesians 2, 1 says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions, and sins. And when you get down in that passage to Ephesians chapter 2, around verse 4 and 5, it says, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love for us, sent us Jesus. And you know that Jesus is the resurrection. Remind me of a passage from John's gospel, I believe it's John chapter 5, where Jesus says when someone comes to the saving knowledge of him, that they have crossed over from death to life. They've crossed over. They are now made new and alive again. And that's why I think one of the images that Isaiah is giving us that's important for us to remember is this stump. It's a dead stump, and it represents just what it sounds like, a stump, not exciting, but there will be a branch, and it's a capital B branch, and this branch will bring life from death, and there'll be resurrection. The second image that Isaiah gives us this morning, I believe, is a torch, Give us the idea of a torch. You're like, torch? Where did I see a a torch in this passage? Well, let's look at verses 2 in the first part of 3. Notice in verse 2 that it says the Spirit, and the Spirit is a capital S, so it's it's a reference every time to the Holy Spirit. And it says the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Oh, yeah. The Spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The Spirit of counsel and of might. The Spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord, he will delight in the fear of the Lord. The image of a torch that made me think of this was the one for National Honor Society. I don't know if you've ever seen that before, but their, their imagery is this image of this torch and this flame. And what that represents is knowledge and wisdom and, you know, all things academic, all of academia represented in being a part of the National Honor Society because you are wise and, and because you, you, can, you can understand these things in there and there's wisdom there. And, and that's what it's talking about on who this branch that comes out of the stump, who is this life that's going to bring life back to Israel, life back to mankind. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, and the spirit of wisdom will be with him. And understanding, and, the, and, and it says there in the middle of verse 2, the spirit of counsel and of might. Do you remember what the Holy Spirit's referenced to in John's gospel, do you remember the upper room discourse where Jesus is in the upper room with the disciples and he's telling the disciples uh, right before he's about to go and be crucified, he says, it is good that I leave you because then the counselor will come and it's with a capital C and it's a reference to the Holy Spirit. When I go and leave you disciples, the counselor is going to come. And the counselor is going to what? The counselor is going to guide you into all wisdom and bring you understanding that you don't get from anyone or anything else. 
And here it's referenced that Jesus will give you the spirit of counsel and my the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. You know, when I read fear of the Lord as a, as a child and all my growing up years, I did not understand what that meant. I always thought, what does that mean? You're supposed to be scared of God? I mean, trust me, as, as a child, I thought God was scary. I remember uh, sometimes being up here in church after hours, you know, my parents were serving or, or singing, singing in a choir or something, and a lot of times the kids were running around. I remember I would not run in the dark hallways of the church because I had a fear of the Lord. I thought the Holy Spirit would come out and rattle chains and, you know, I just, it, there was just this honest reverence for the Lord and, and for his church and for his his sanctuary and, and, and places that are holy where his work is done. And, and I, I just remember thinking that that, that that was a scary thing for me, this, this fear of the Lord. But it's not really talking about a fear of the Lord like you're scared of God. When it says this throughout Scripture, it's talking about having a reverence for God. It's almost like a healthy fear of respect for God. Because he's so powerful and because he's so mighty and because he's on the throne because he's even created you and has dominion over everything, I think it would behoove us even today to have a healthy fear of the Lord. And here it says that the healthy fear of the Lord, the spirit of knowledge and a fear of the Lord, they go hand in hand. If you want to be a wise person and you want to be a person of knowledge and you want to understand things, then you will have a fear of the Lord. And how many people today live their life like there's no fear of the Lord? There's no fear of his judgment. There's, you know, oh, yeah, there's grace to cover that. There's no fear. And yet it says to those people, what would God say? Fool. Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. It reminded me of Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. Proverbs 9, 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And you see, Jesus had not only the Holy Spirit, but all of heaven's wisdom on him, and he was wise. And I think that torch, that, that, that image of a torch represents knowledge and wisdom and ultimate authority of understanding that Jesus had. So we see this image of a stump, and then we see this image of a torch. And the next image that I see is the image of a gavel. The image of a gavel. Let's go ahead and put that up, the image of a gavel. What am I talking about here? It's something that... That when the final decision is made, right, when the truth comes out, when the case has been presented and the judgment comes, we, we put down the gavel. The image of the gavel represents Christ as a righteous judge. Look at the second part of verse 3 through verse 5. It says, he will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. Now, you think about that. Well, that goes exactly against our justice system, right? Because in our justice system here on the earth, the way it works in the government's justice system is that you bring what? You bring evidence, and evidence is what? What you can see with your eyes and what you hear with your ears. And yet it says that Jesus, that this branch that's coming that's going to bring life out of this dead stump, that Jesus is not going to judge that way. Oh, how will he judge? He says this in verse 4, but with righteousness, he's going to judge with righteousness, he will judge the he. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He's saying that he cares about those that are poor and those who are needy, and he's going to judge with righteousness and justice, like true justice. And when we go before the courts, that's what we want, right? In this world, we want justice, but you know as well as I do, the courts of man are not always just. 
The courts of men are not always right, and so you go to the source of righteousness and truth, and he is the righteous judge. And look what else it says. It says, he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips. He will slay the wicked. There is going to be judgment coming from the righteous judge. And then he says this in verse 5, righteousness will be his belt, faithfulness the sash around his waist. It's a gavel, the image of a gavel that reminds us that Jesus is coming and that the Lord is the righteous judge. And so many of us long for justice, don't we? I mean, sometimes I go through a week of life and I'm thinking, man, nothing is right. I, I, always, I always laugh about that when it, when it comes to certain, certain things in my life that I have this great sense of justice. You know, when something's wrong, it's like, man, you know, I can get all bent out of shape about it. And, but it's a constant reminder to me that, that it's not going to be perfect in this world. There's too much sin. There's too much evil. There's too much wickedness in this world. But on that day, the day that's coming, the day that foreshadowed all of Scripture, on that day of the final judgment, all things will be made right. And the good news is it won't be based on what you have heard or what you have seen. It won't be based on the temporary testimony of man. No, this will be a righteous judge that looks beyond the exterior and what you put on. And let's be honest, what we fake sometimes, oh, yeah, I'm a really nice, good-looking Christian here. Got it all together, right? And you know that inside it's like dead man's bones because you don't. Because you're a mess and God sees through the facade, he sees through the fake and all that we try to do on the outside and he's going to get right to the heart of the issue and say, hey, do you really love me? Do you really believe in me? Do you really have faith in me? He's going to judge in righteousness and justice. And if you're one of those people that's like, man, things aren't just right in this world, you're right, hang on because it's coming. And all things will be made right by the righteous judge. So we see this stump. We see this torch talking about his knowledge and his wisdom. We see the, the representation and, and imagery of this gavel. And the next one is a place like Eden. We, we see this imagery of a place like Eden. You, you, know, you know what I'm referring to there, right? The, the Garden of Eden. All the way back to Genesis God created this Garden of Eden, this place of perfection and life, and he created, created the earth, and he created the animals, and he created man to inhabit this place called Eden. And here in this next few verses, there's this shift, and it's a very sudden, direct shift in Isaiah's prophecy here, and he talks about this place like Eden, that this branch that brings life is going to make things right and harmonious just like it was in the Garden of Eden. Let's read the, read the passage here, and let's look at the image. Uh, verse 6 here says, the wolf will lie with the lamb. And there's the image. Now, you know as well as I do, you are not going to see this, right? The wolf will eat the lamb. The wolf will annihilate the lamb and all of the lamb's family and have it for lunch, dinner, and supper, and take it back to the pack and devour it. But here in the passage, it says, the wolf will lie with the lamb. Let's read on. The leopard will lie down with the goat. Nuh-uh. The leopard will eat the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling, which is, is, is talking about the, the calf. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. Really? No. The, the lion's going to eat the calf. Have you watched Discovery Channel, right? Have you seen video firsthand 
footage. And then it says, hey, hey, and don't forget that it's going to be a little child that will lead them. Jesus is going to come in the world young as a baby. Look at verse 7. The cow will feed with the bear. No, the bear's going to eat the cow. Their young will lie down together. No, they won't. Get sharp teeth, they're going to eat. And the lion will eat straw like the ox. Come on. Lions are carnivores. They eat meat. And then you get to verse 8, and it says, The infant will play near the cobra's den. Did Jesus ever play near the cobra's den? Pharisees, Sadducees. Seems like he was always in conflict, right? It says, The infant will play near the cobra's den. The young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. But will the viper have power? Will the viper prevail? Then you get to verse 9. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. You see, there's this imagery here that these animals that are predators and these animals that are traditionally, we look at them as prey, will be lying down together and living in peace and harmony. And I believe that's the way it was in Eden. Because if you read Genesis and you understand that, that the judgment that came when sin entered the world, when Adam and Eve chose sin, when sin entered the world, the judgment was what? Death entered the world. So this isn't like the official view of Oakwood Christian Church or of, you know, Christian churches in general, but just my view after studying the scripture, just this is the Eric Keller version, is I believe when Adam and Eve and the animals and everything was created in the garden, we were created to live forever. We were created to walk forever with God in perfect harmony. But then we were deceived by Satan, the adversary, the one that was even cast out of heaven, if you remember the story, deceived Adam and Eve, and when they sinned, they were what? They were taken out of the garden, and it's been like this ever since. Now, the wolf will not cuddle with the lamb, the wolf eats the lamb. And yet it's a foreshadowing here that Jesus is going to have the power, he's going to have the precision, the availability to make wrong things right, to reset the earth and to bring about peace in a way that we can't even imagine. I try to imagine what heaven's going to be like someday, and I think it's going to be really different than what we think. That you might see images of this because that's how God intended it to be, with peace and with harmony. And deep inside the soul of man, little secret here, we all long for that. I, I get sick of conflict. I get sick of sin and wickedness and evil that just seems to darken. And it affects me sometimes. I have to, I have to turn it off, turn off the news. Because it's, it, just, it just wears on you. And think deep down inside all of us, we're just like, we just want a little love, right? We just want a little peace. We just want a little... We want a little Eden. And Eden won't be realized until Christ comes again and sets all things right and the righteous judge judges and comes with righteousness, right? What does it say? The righteousness and justice. And someday we'll be taken up to heaven and all things will be made right. If you long for that, that's good. I think it's normal. I think that it's, I think that it's natural. And I think God has put that in us because he understands that when I send Jesus, this branch of life 
into the world that's going to bring dead back to life and resurrect souls and resurrect people that were lost in their trespasses and their transgressions and their sins and make things right. He's going to bring peace and order and structure. And the world that has fallen will be remade. A new heaven and a new earth. And all of the old will pass away. So I believe in verses 6 through 9, it's this image, is this image of Eden. And then the last one is a banner. A banner. In verse 10, it talks about a banner. Here's the image I chose for this because it just spoke to me about the Christmas story, uh, this, this idea of a banner. And this image is not really a banner. It's just an image of Christmas. You have the star. You have the, the shepherds on the hillside keeping watch over their flock at night. You got the sheep there. And in verse 10, it talks about how he is a banner that's going to gather the nations. And when I saw that image, what I thought about that was the star. The star was gathering people, even from the far, far east. The magi were going to come. The shepherds would have the angelic appearance that night, and, and they would come. And there was this gathering under the banner of God. Let's read verse 10. It says, in that day, the root of Jesse, notice it's a capital R root. The root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. Now go back to verse one and notice that a shoot will come out of the stump of Jesse from his roots, a branch. From his roots, this branch will come with a capital B. And then here in verse 10, a little later, it says, in the day of the root of Jesse will stand. Because what? The life comes from the roots. It's not like Jesus went away. He's been here all along. He's been there from the beginning, we know. When God turned to Jesus and the Holy Spirit said, let us make man in our image. It says, in that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him and his resting place will be glorious. You see, we, we, we kind of lose the meaning of this because of who we are today. How many of you carry a banner? Anybody got a banner you carry it out in front of you, carry your banner? No, no banner. Okay. How many of you carry a banner in your vehicle? You got a banner? No banner vehicle. How many of you carry a banner at Walmart before your family? You know, the Keller family. And then they, you gather behind the banner and they lead with it. You, you hold it up as you go around. And that would be useful sometimes with the crowds at holiday shopping, parents. So maybe you need to create a banner. But this was the procession. This is the way things worked in Bible times. And that's why this is a big deal, verse 10, to the Israelites. Because when they would gather, there would be this banner that would go out before the nation of Israel. And more specifically, there would be a banner that would go out before the 12 tribes. And so that was your identity, and you gathered as a nation, and as a clan, and as a people, and as a family, you got behind the banner. And what it's saying here is that Jesus, this branch out of the stump, and now the root, the one that brings the life from within. It's interesting that it refers to him as the root because What's Jesus called in the New Testament? The cornerstone, right? The cornerstone, the foundation on which you build your life. The root of Jesse is the cornerstone. And that he is going to provide this banner, this representation, that even the nations will come behind. You realize that when we get to heaven, there'll be representatives of, of, of Jesus and Christ followers from all over the world. Heaven is not going to be white like Enid, Oklahoma, okay? <laughs> You're going to see all of the nations represented there. You're going to see all, all ethnicities, all people groups. You're going to see poor. You're going to see rich. You're going to see famous and people that, that you never knew their name. 
You, you are going to see all this gathered into heaven under one banner, and it's just a foreshadowing here of the power of God and the power of Jesus as this banner represents one that can unite the people. You see, when the nation of Israel would go march into battle, they would put the banner before them. That banner represented something to them. That banner represented protection. That banner represented the protection of God. over That banner represented the provision of God in their lives. God's going to provide. That banner represents salvation. That if we will stand in Jesus Christ and put our faith only in him, we can be saved. That banner represented so much, and that banner went before the nation. And, and now it's saying that this banner is actually going to gather the nations. The nations, they're not, even, they're not even going to just come to join. They're going to rally to him. And his resting place will be glorious because it's going to be filled with people from all over the world because his banner is coming. Jesus is the uniter that brings perfect peace and love to any setting that he deems to be made right. And we get these images, this stump and this torch and this gavel and this place like even in this banner are, are images that we should think about at Christmas. We should cherish these images that the prophet Isaiah gives us because it speaks directly into who is this Christ child. Who is this baby Jesus? What is God's plan and how is it going to come to fruition? Through Jesus. Images of Christmas. And just as Jesus came and the whole passage starts with this image of this dead stump, here comes life. Here comes life out of the dead. Because Jesus has been in that business since really the very beginning of time. Taking dead and sinful people and raising them back to newness of life. Raising them to walk out of that tomb of sin and darkness and wickedness and all those decisions and choices they made that are not God honoring. And saying, you know what, I can redeem that. But you've got to put me first. Images of Christmas.